Hi. And there you are. How are you? It's good to see you. Good to see you. How are you doing? Um, I'm all right. Uh, I just bought my six-year-old a, a sketchbook, so she's now in there. I, she tried to do a like a, she tried to do a portrait of me the other day, and I was like, you know what? You need some practice. Had me looking like uh, some weird Wes Anderson character, <laughs> or something. Um, but yeah, thanks for uh, hopping on with us. Um, I just wanted to do a special weapon of choice edition of our little mini pandemic series. Um, we were, I pretty much stopped doing these long form interviews we were used to because they were always in person. But um, I know that uh, <laughs> I, I met you through group calls on a platform that will go unnamed yeah. um, like a year ago, basically. But you've been, um, I just like the way you've been moving, um, the way you've been um, so giving with your time and information and your wisdom and knowledge and your expertise. And uh, so we're just going to chop it up real quick and then we'll call it a night because it's the East Coast for you. Um, I actually, um, so welcome everybody who's tuning in, but this will be recorded. You know the drill. And then it'll be on the Weapon of Choice podcast feed. We'll show that feed some love since we've been on hiatus. Um, you know, I don't, I realize I don't like reading people's bios to their face. It's kind of weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, if I were to read your read your bio, I'd just say Dr. Azagadir is fucking amazing. And so, if you'd like to just quickly introduce yourself anywhere you'd like today, how, how, however you'd like to introduce yourself today, go right ahead. Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm an immunologist by training. Um, I am now in biotech, so I was in academia before. Um, so I have a PhD and a postdoc, but I've spent the last year i think that's how we were connected communicating mainly about covid and helping to um i help help kind of work out what the misinformation is i think a big part of it is that i feel like a little bit lucky that because this is a field that i've been in for a while that i've been able to kind of have a bullshit discuss research with um, as it comes out. And so, yeah, I spent the last year talking a lot of COVID research. And and yeah, I think actually, I think in, in the poster, I don't know if I technically qualify as a medical professional because I think a medical professional sees patients and I'm not an MD, I'm a, a, a PhD, a researcher. So right, we'll, um, we'll call yeah, it a... That in we'll, case. we'll edit it to say a social medical professional or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's on me, y'all. So trust, trust me. You're in good hands with Azza anytime you speak with her. And, you know, it's funny because, like, yeah, we met and, like, we'll just say these group calls, um, many, many, you know, too many to count. And, you know, obviously I'm just in the background listening in. And the thing is, can you, you know, and we'll get to, like, some of those collab awesome collaborations that you've done um, in recent months uh, a little bit later. But can you just, how, how, like, how does it feel to just go from, the inundation of all of that talk, conversation, chatter, and noise, because there's like the part of that pie is noise when, when we're in all those, you know, larger discussions. You know, how did it feel to go from that inundation to more concentrated efforts like you're doing with your collaborations with very specific people you've really connected with over the last year or so? Yeah. Um, 
I think in general, it's it's the, the it has been a year in, and I think everyone's really really exhausted. Um, COVID exhaustion is very real. Um, I've still actually tried to keep the the one on one thing continuing, so continuing to try to talk to people about their fears because I just feel like everyone's an expert in something, and and we don't talk to each other enough. And I think that the beginning of the pandemic just you know it ripped the surface off off a lot like in particular how many people think that science in general is one big group mind and that like everybody's in the same boat and there's no nuance. I understand that especially if they're not in the field that there is a lot of nuance to it that there are discussions that people are having um but yeah I think that I've tried to keep those conversations going because they are important I think that everyone is exhausted um one thing that I have gotten better at is perhaps recognizing a bit more who who does have an open mind and who is willing to like be be evidence-based and and is is willing to change their mind and like the face of data um and who just wants to kind of do it for entertainment which i think that that you can stumble on that a lot when you're doing covert communication where some people just want to see two people go at it and they think it's kind of funny and fun to to but but at the end that's not what it's about right like people are dying and and like a lot of us who are at the bench or a lot of us like scientific researchers wanted to help the frontline work. Like we couldn't be on the frontline, right? And frontline workers are exhausted. They're over a year into that and they need support. And so a lot of us were like, okay, why don't we try to kind of pick up the slack of like public comms while they're on the frontline fighting this virus? Um, and so, yeah, I think I've, I've gone all over the place, but in answer to your question, I think that I've just tried to be a bit better at recognizing like who who wants to have a conversation and who wants evidence um, and who actually doesn't and just wants to troll a little bit and, and isn't interested in like helping to solve the problem and, and might even want to contribute to it a little bit. Yeah, very true. Yeah. Oh, and you're officially Weapon of Choice family because we encourage tangents here. Um, but it's, it's interesting, you know, exhaustion is a part of this as well. And I think there's probably a correlation in any field, in any industry um, of uh, where we're doing, you know, we like to think we're doing good things by providing more information and spreading that information that we trust. Um, there's probably a correlation between exhaustion and like compassion, right? Like um, as a baseline, one can, one can assume that I know that you in particular and others um, really wanted to you know, you mentioned you still do one-on-ones. And I know for a fact that you wanted to make sure that you were having these conversations um, uh, much of the time, if not all the time, with Black and brown communities um, anywhere in the world, right? So, like, <laughs> you, you know, like, your compassion meter if you will, from the outside has to just be, like, you know, all the way in the red. Um, and as a baseline, I know that's, part of your soul but like did you learn anything about yourself around that trait in terms of patience even yeah I, that's actually the, that was the word that I was gonna say next so I will say that like so before I was like in the lab on the bench right just doing research and um running experiments doing research and I think the danger of that because especially like I mean I did my PhD a while ago now and the, and and there was never like an there was never like this feeling that you had to communicate your science. Like science comms wasn't a thing until recently. Like there were people here and there that were really good at it, but in general, it wasn't 
something that was, I would say, even respected within the scientific field, but too much reach out. It was more like put your head down and work on your science and publish papers and read papers and, and focus. Um, but now we've realized the pandemic happened and then we realized that actually not communicating is, has caused like a, is a disaster. Um, when I left the lab, I started working for a company called Seed. That was right after my postdoc. Um, and the nice thing about Seed, like they have an Instagram account as well that's just at Seed. But they were the kind of ethos of the founders was that pharma or like biotech in the northeast was like data, data, data. Like even if you have a white box, if it has... Um, all of the facts and the data on it, then that is enough for people to take it. And then what you have is that you have the other side of the coin, which you can often see with, for example, the supplement industry, where they don't necessarily like present data, but they storytell really well or they communicate really well. And so even without the data, that they're selling, they're, be, they're able to sell things to people without providing it. And, and what Seed wanted to do was to have like evidence-based supplements or like therapeutics while at the same time continuing to communicate. So I would actually say that a lot of the like patients and communication that I learned wasn't at the bench and it wasn't at the lab. It was while I was at Seed because even when I was at Seed, there was, I really, I really was, I'm not a very patient person. And there were like, part, like I would, you know, like my communication was very abrupt. Like I would say, this is what it shows. It shows what it shows. Data is data. Take it or leave it. Right. But that's, that's not how, that's not how you communicate medicine to people, especially people that have had really bad experiences with medicine and, and might not understand that nuance that science isn't all a group mind. And so I think that that's actually the most beautiful thing about the, the pandemic is now academic science itself has really acknowledged the fail of science comms that it's had in the past and like how important it is for most of us to like really focus on it and give attention to it. And, and you can see that like, if you go on Twitter, most of the major labs who like, you may never have even had a chance to ever speak to these professors now have Twitter accounts and they like communicate their science and do tutorials about their papers as they come out. Um, and so, yeah, I would say that like, it's, it's something that was learned during the pandemic. I definitely learned more. I mean, there, there were even moments like on, on club hats, for example, the app that shall remain unnamed where, you know, like, I think a bunch of us would lose our patients and then you would see that you would lose the people that you were trying to speak to, like not people who were anti-vaxxers, but people who were skeptic and just had questions. And they felt like there was if, like the minute that they could feel any type of impatience in your voice, like you'd lose them essentially. And so it was really important to just like take a step back and be like, this is unfair. Like none of us are experts in everything. You wouldn't want anyone to treat you like you were stupid if they were explaining, you know, like, I don't know about like engineering or like, you know, other fields. Like I wouldn't want someone to treat me like I was stupid. And it's like important to just like be like, just, just be nice. And just like, even if like, just there are no stupid questions and just listen to people and hear them and just like be as patient as you can. And if you're unable to do that ever, then take a step back and don't do it because you can cause more damage, I would say, than yeah. Than, yeah when, when did, uh, what are some like specific like boundaries that became clear just for you personally around, um, you know, the last year and a half of conversations? Yeah, like, so uh, the things that were definitely really hard were like when people say things like COVID isn't real. And like that especially got really hard when like, um, I mean, my dad lost his best friend when like I had friends that lost parents. Um, I had friends that were frontline workers and had extreme exhaustion and like mental fatigue. And then also just like, you know, checking on your like friends and family that are healthcare workers because 
You know, like their mental health isn't great at this point. It's been over a year. They've been like working on this disease for, for this long. It's impacted their training. It's impacted so much of their lives. Um, and so like those were the kind of like conversations that I actually felt. Those are the ones that I would set boundaries with where I'd be if someone was explicitly saying, I don't think that this virus is real. I try a little bit and say, well, you know, like not the world isn't all conspiring together to make this up. That's not possible. Um but like, and if it would reach a certain point, I would just, I'd be out. Like, I would just be like, let me know if you want evidence. Let me know if you want an open-minded conversation. If not, that's fine. Best of luck, right? Instead of continuing to go back and forth and then you get more impatient and then it gets heated, then the next thing you're yelling at each other and it's just not constructive. And for anybody listening, it just doesn't help either. It just makes you seem like you're, I don't know, that you think you're better than the conversation. So like, I think, yeah, I think those are the ways that I like in the last year have tried to be better. Like if I'm having a bad day, or if the conversation, like I can feel that I'm like getting revved up or impatient, just walk away from it and we'll take a break from it because it's not, it's not going to be good. Right. Because it's like, we don't want it to feel like this is a war. And inf- yeah. like, I mean, I mean, obviously plenty of media entities will brand it an information war. But the second, like, I know that even if you were losing your patience and, you know, maybe someone didn't, you know, know, uh, you know, kind of know your mood necessarily, I know that sometimes you would, you know, push through because you knew other people with an open mind were listening to you answer that the person who wasn't open minded. But at some point, yeah. at some point along the way, you were like, all right, this is my like go to out. And 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 I'm just like glad because I would like sometimes be listening and I'd be DMing you like, oh, my God, like I'm losing it. Like I, I wanted to like the <laughs> it's almost like. <laughs> Obama had the anger translator and was, we got to get, yeah. we got to get one for you. Um, so then, you know, there's all of us have come up with at least a couple new ways of coping in uncertainty in the world. For a lot of people, unfortunately, it had to do with their employment. Um, but like when your world has rocked, even in the slightest in the last couple of years, have you found like a new mechanism internal or external to bring some peace for you in this ridiculous world? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, I, I'm, I'm very type A. And so for me in general, I feel like um, the more knowledge I have, the more, whenever I have anxiety that gets really elevated, especially during this, this pandemic. And my family's in the UK and I, I, I didn't see them for most of the pandemic. It was only recently that I saw my parents and my sister and I haven't seen my brother since before. So like it's when I would get really anxious about the whole thing for me, like information would help, like looking at the numbers, tracking the data and seeing how far we were away from like the likelihood of opening borders or like being able to travel. That was something that, that for me, yeah, would really, really help. Um, the more knowledge, the better. There were definitely moment, like one or two moments in the last two years where I'd have to totally detach from social media for like a couple of days um, just because it, it just got all a, a bit too much. And um, I think that, yeah, it was it was important to just be like, OK, I'm going to take a few days and just like listen to music or spend time outdoors or just like detach away from this. Um, but yeah, like I think that that was for me. I mean, in, in general, my, my tolerance, I think, for, for social media is quite high. <laughs> like I don't get um, super overwhelmed by it because I just think that like if I'm if I, you know, if I can't handle it, I can switch it off. Um, but, but those were some of the ways that I would like learn how to cope. And then just like FaceTime was a huge relief for me, to be honest with you. That was probably my favorite. Like if I didn't have FaceTime, I don't know how I would have even coped in the last couple of years. Like being able to stay connected with friends and family in London or in like Sudan or like all over the world. I think it was, 
that was pretty key for me and like very grounding. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and like, how have you, like, just what's one way you balance frustration and optimism as we're like going through this roller coaster? Oh, how do I balance it? Yeah. How, like, how do you balance fr frustration and optimism while we navigate all of this? Oh, it's a, it's a, it's a battle every day. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like every minute. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, it makes being, being, um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. It's definitely not easy. But again, I think that the more information, the better. And, and to be honest, once the once the vaccines rolled out, like my optimism kind of went through the roof. And then obviously we've had setbacks with like the newer variants and we had setbacks with like really bizarre government decisions that like didn't make any sense. Um, and then that kind of like knocks the wind out of you a little bit. And you're like, like, oh, come on. Like, it's pretty obvious. Like, you know, I don't want to get into, I know you don't want to cope the conversation here, but like, for example, the UK totally opening up when they, all they need to do is mandate masks, right? Or like, or like, given that the vaccine numbers are so high, just mandate masks, and then you wouldn't be headed towards another lockdown. But like, not understanding, like, some of the decisions that were made. Um, so that would definitely knock the wind out of me. But in general, um, um, I think after the vaccines, my optimism, my threshold for it did go up. There were definitely moments pre-vaccine where it got a little bit apocalyptic in my head, where, you know, <laughs> when you're like, yeah. what if this is the new normal? This is it. We're all just going to be talking heads on a computer for the rest of our lives. But then the vaccines rolled out and it was like, okay, there is a chance of being able to like return to some level of normality. Right. Yeah. And I, I know for me, like information overload, I love it. And I, and I, I first have to hit anger the more I take in. But then it brings a calm, too, because I just rather know. Right. Like, I just rather know. Um, have you had uh, an, you know, how has your relationship um, to solitude changed? Like, did you have a really good relationship with solitude pre-pandemic or have you cultivated it now in a new way? I think it's probably about the same. Um, I would say it's probably about the same. So I, I'm a middle child so I um I, li I like my alone time when I like it in specific ways like I I'm a big reality tv fan so mm -hmm. like I'll like lock myself like even now like with my husband I'll go and like lock myself away and just like watch the real housewives of like Beverly Hills and, or like you know or like Atlanta and just like not not speak for like <laughs> a few hours that's my way of like spending time alone or I read um I read but it's it's I think what was nice actually was um, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I was living in LA and what was really nice was being able to just like take walks. I was like in Venice and it was nice to be able to just like t take walks and be outside. Um, but I don't think that in general, my, my um, relationship with solitude massively changed because I think that like, even like when the pandemic happened, I, you, I like generally love, I'm a very social person. I love being around people, but I just compensated by just being on FaceTime, for example, like when I wanted to see people or when the Zoom parties were like all the rage at the beginning, that was, that was a fun time. But then we all got sick of it in the summer. So, right. Yeah. So, okay. We know you definitely miss the shit out of your brother. And I hope there's like a lot of great makeup encounters and, you know, and gatherings just, you know, with the family overall. What, what's one thing you definitely do not miss that hasn't re-entered your life? Oh, from before the pandemic? <laughs> what can stay over there? <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky enough that I get to still work from home. So like a commute 
a commute to work can stay there because it's like mm-hmm. you know it's nice having that extra time and it's like it's it's nice having that extra time because you I didn't realize how much time before the pandemic for me was wasted on like you know like fluff of time moving around when you could just like get into your work and like immerse yourself. And I, I spend a lot of my time reading at my, up for work. Like that's what I do. Um, and so I, like, I just like having that space um, and that can stay before pandemic. I hope we don't go back. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And le- yeah, I mean, L- LA and New York, let's leave all that commute alone. Yeah. Um, okay. So we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much. I just want to remind folks that this conversation will be saved in the Instagram, but also it will be in the Weapon of Choice podcast feed on Apple iTunes and all that, all that good stuff. Um, and I guess we can end with like, uh, you know, there's this continuous information rollout that's pretty dope happening. Um, for, all, for all I know on Instagram with collaborations that you do with with uh, Nina and Edward. And yeah. if- um, yeah. So just shout out that yeah, their handles are uh Deep Platform Disease and Nina and the Brain. It's it's Nini, yeah. Nini, Nini and the, Nini brain. And the <laughs> brain. And you know, is if there's any other uh there's a couple of like there's his brother. I just want if you remember his name to shout him out. He's also dope. Um that, that posts some really good informative stuff. Um starts with an S. What's his brother's name? Okay, we neither one of us remember, but um Check out those collaborations that that Ezra and, and Nini and the Brain and the Deplatform Disease do. Uh, I think there's Science with Liz puts out some good stuff. Yeah, she puts up great stuff, and Science with Annie is another one. Yeah. So yeah, like everybody, just keep taking in like this, you know, well informed, well researched, well curated, definitely well curated information, and these collaborations. And I just want to thank you, Ezra, for you know coming on, and um, I really like. You know, so many of the conversations that those group calls, like, I just want, you know, I, I want to distill even like a hundredth of it to try to, you know, translate the best best I could, leaving in the facts for my people. So I just want to get a little conversation here tonight to, uh, you know, be able to point them in that direction as well. Because, you know, seeing familiar faces such as yourself and people that know you, people that know me, I think it just goes a long way, even if the conversations are short, but but important. And um, we're thinking about Sudan. We're thinking about so many things always. So uh, it's good to be in in, in these uh, virtual struggles with you as well. Um, so thank you for all your time tonight. And uh, thank you. Everybody else, we'll see you soon. We'll talk to you soon, Aza. Bye. Take care. Bye bye.